You are listening to the Alexa Rose Show. So you know, every episode, we bring different and diverse thought leaders who are changing the world with their own ideas and thoughts. And today is no different. If you've ever thought that you can turn the billion dollar luxury market on its head and thought that was like a crazy thing to even think about, how can anyone do that? Well, we're going to be talking to the luxury vegan who is doing just that and has created a seven-figure empire in the process. So we're going to dive in to another thought-provoking, inspiring, and empowering episode on The Alexa Rose Show. Each individual taking massive amounts of action to pursue what they love. And today, that is what we're focusing on. We're focusing on your growth and your success. All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Alexa Rose Carlin. I am your host, and I am so excited to be uh, talking with our next thought leader for this episode on the Alexa Rose Show. This show is all about empowering you to change the world with your thoughts and ideas and build a successful business, career, life for yourself in the process. Well, of course, having fun and connecting and collaborating and, and being vulnerable. We talk about so many different things, but really the core of it all is for you to achieve what you love. I believe that when more people are out there doing what they love in the world, it becomes a better place. And so I want to help you do that. And this podcast is brought to you by Colin. Colin is a new social podcasting app. It is amazing because it has all the different tools for me to produce this podcast, as well as bring it to you live and recorded um, with different editing features. And it really is just amazing tools. So super grateful for Colin bringing the Lex Rose show to all of you. And also Women Empower X, my company, we're hosting a lot of different masterclasses coming up. Um, so if you are interested in learning how to speak publicly on stages, different platforms, on podcasts, definitely check out womenempowerx.com to uh, learn more and, and see what masterclasses around speaking we have coming up for you. All right. So without further ado, I want to introduce today's guest. Dominique Side is the luxury vegan, the world's leading authority in luxury ethical living. As the co-founder of the seven-figure entrepreneurial multiplex, Vegan Bay, her mission is to inspire and support other change makers and influencers to transition to a compassionate based vegan lifestyle without compromising on their luxury quality of life. Dominique, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm super excited to learn more about your journey. So I actually was vegan for um, about four to five years uh, at, because of a health issue that led okay. me to veganism. And I I really had a hard time with that transition and that process. And this mm. was back in, let's see, 2014. So it's oh, still- wow. Right. Yeah. It still wasn't like as mainstream as it is today in the sense of like finding vegan menus at restaurants. But I would love to know more of your journey and how and why you built the luxury vegan and, and this business around veganism. Sure. Um, I have been vegan. Uh, the summer will be five years. And, you know, when people ask me why I became vegan, uh, I told them it wasn't even initially my intention. Um, I started swapping out different things in my life, uh, not food related, mostly other products. And over time, um, I told other people around me I could never go vegan because steak is my favorite food. And I, and I mean, I feel like anyone who's vegan has always said, has said at some point I could never go vegan. <laughs> but um, I watched a documentary. I was like, well, you know, I can't unhear or unsee or unknow any of these things and it just pushed me to a space where I felt like there's nothing about my lifestyle that's really worth um 
taking the life of or exploiting um, animals. Um, and there were, there were other benefits with that. So I tell people that I come from a compassion centered space. And so I have compassion for other beings, which is animals and humans alike, compassion for the planet and compassion for myself. And usually that opens up a conversation and it's not as off putting as other conversations around veganism, maybe. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, But they like that because there are many people around me who aren't vegan. Um, They may be um, exploring a primarily plant-based diet or they may be swapping out things in their life um, for, you know, items or products that don't involve animal cruelty or ingredients. Um, But it's because of compassion. So they say, okay, I can do that, Dominique. You know, I may not be able to commit to veganism fully and completely, but I can take another lens and filter my thought process through that. That's so interesting that you um, kind of framed it through this one word in a way like compassion. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so simple, yet it's so powerful. What, What would you say is your definition of compassion? My definition of compassion, um, it comes from a space of uh, empathy. So, you know, I consider it to be um, the ability to uh, empathize to a certain extent and um, allow yourself to feel, you know, what is kind, what is peaceful, you know, so, so that's where compassion comes from for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. D- definitely. So I definitely can relate when you say people, it's a hard conversation and people are like, oh, I can never go vegan. I know yes. I've had that conversation with my uh, fiance and he's like, mm-hmm. I can never go vegan. And <laughs> I, I'm the big believer where he never say never <laughs> um, yeah. because y- y- one, I mean, I, I, found veganism to help heal my body at such a time where nothing was healing me. And I had to look at towards food Mm -hmm. and it was this, uh, journey that was really hard in the beginning, but very rewarding once Mm -hmm. I started to learn more about it. And actually my mom went vegan with me and she started to do more of like, she didn't go, uh, vegan because of health reasons, Mm -hmm. but to help support me because it was so difficult to like make all these different foods and, and make separate meals for, uh, the family Mm -hmm. and everything like that. But once she started to learn more about how food is made and, and she's, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all animal lovers. She, it's very difficult for her to, uh, incorporate any type of animal based products back into her diet because of what she saw. But with that being said, you know, um, you focus on this niche, not only in the vegan market, but kind of on this transition of like, you have this, this business, right. On this concierge service on helping people transition. So what does that look like? Do people come to you already ready with that mindset or you have to, or you help people get there in order to create a sustainable lifestyle? They come to me at least curious, you know, um, they've considered it they've um, decided maybe they're too busy, you know, to explore veganism because of how much research it takes to Mm -hmm. find the alternatives or they travel a lot and they don't know where to begin and they don't have the time to devote to um, reworking their whole lives. That's how it seems. And so it's, it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, So my position is to make that simple. There are so many options out there and there's new innovations every day. And because I keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the market, it's easy for me to be a resource to someone like that. Um, Also, you know, there are different lifestyles that people choose, you know, and I'm privileged. You know, I work very hard and, um, I like nice things. Everyone's definition of nice things is different. Mine is typically designer. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so the first thing that people think is I have to give up my 
you know, designer shoes and my designer handbags and where in the world am I going to find this and what kind of car can I drive? You know, when they think about the lifestyle part of it and I'm like, no, I mean, no, you really don't. You, you can find alternatives that are beautiful quality and last for years and, um, and even within clothes themselves, you can curate a really nice collection from existing luxury designers. I wear Christian Dior. I wear Bottega Veneta. I wear all of these different designers because I spend the time to look through their collections and find the pieces that are made from vegan-friendly materials. So... It exists. And for some people that may seem um, they're not endeared to the idea of uh, excess, what they consider excess. But for me, there's a there's an audience for everyone, I feel like. So so while there are a lot of people that um, will be in the mid range you know, middle income families, then there's lower income families and then there's higher income families. So um, everybody wants to know what their options are. And I felt like, I felt like everyone else was being served. There's, there are so many different influencers that are targeting, you know, budget friendly vegan options. I was seeing it everywhere. And then there are these courses online um, that I actually was looking into creating one. And I said, you know, I don't know that my lifestyle is relatable in that way. So me, you know, I could create a mainstream course online to help people transition. I could totally do that. Um, But then I would have to do things like um, maintain a Facebook group and and guide a large number of people and be um, their support system. And then I realized, okay, there are people out there like me (laughs) who want to explore this space, but just don't know where to begin. And um, I can work with them. I can teach them, you know, where to find things or teach the person that shops for them or the person that cooks for them, you know, how to go about it. And if they're doing a compassion mindset shift, it will affect all of the decisions that they make. And then there's this trickle down effect, you know, because someone asked me, why target such a small percentage of people? And I'm like, well, the people that I'm targeting have the largest resources available to them, the largest amount of resources. So they can make change on a mass you know, scale. They can put their resources behind causes that benefit the other people. So why not change their minds? Right, right, right. So, I mean, I think that's... I mean, I really like what you did here because I'm all about the the niche and, and really focusing on one core target market mm-hmm. in order to make that much more of an impact. I, you know, nobody wants uh, uh, the person that is for everyone because one of my coaches, they say like, if you are, if you are trying to be for everyone, you're going to end up attracting no one. No one. Right. It's very <laughs> yes. true. It's, it's, it's hard because we want to make a difference in everyone's life, but you do have to niche down and yes. you found uh, a need in the market that also aligned with you, who you are, which yes. is so important because then it comes off authentic. Yes. It's relatable and you can really understand the needs and wants and desires of this core target market. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's really uh, key, especially for um, our listeners who are entrepreneurs. I know so many times people are so afraid (laughs) to exclude people, Mm -hmm. but it's it's not like, I mean, you're welcoming them to learn, but your service is for this core target market. And that happens to be uh, divided based on your income and also the lifestyle that you choose uh, and you want. And and there's that, that's something that every entrepreneur should define for their business. Yes. And I have, um, I mean, serial entrepreneur, so I have several businesses and different ones have different target audiences, even within the vegan space. So um, this one for me was very personal. It was like, there are people out there like me who do not have the time otherwise to make this transition. How can I make an impact? Well, I'll make that my business to help them. 
Yeah, I love that. What? So, can I ask you who's your favorite uh, designer that does vegan, um, you know, uh, luxury goods that would that's in the handbag market? In the handbag market, Stella McCartney. Stella McCartney. Yep. That's yep. uh, yeah, one of my good family friends. She's vegan, and uh, she has a ton of different Stella McCartneys. She yes. loves, loves, <laughs> loves that bag. Yeah, I love Stella. Um, I mean, she's got clothes, shoes, and handbags, sunglasses, like all of the above. So um, I love shopping Stella. It's a vegetarian brand, but um, I mean, I'm able to skip out on the wool and the silk and the rest is game. <laughs> Free, right. Fair game. So. <laughs> so, you, so you briefly mentioned you have multiple businesses, which I don't know if many people realize like you are a serial entrepreneur. So tell me more about this vegan grocery boutique that you started in <laughs> your local community. Yeah. So um, Bedside Market, um, I started it maybe a year after I became vegan and my original intent wasn't even necessarily to, to be a grocery um, boutique. It was, there, there was a need. <laughs> There's uh, a Facebook group that I was a part of Houston vegans. And there were people like, Oh, I would love to try this product. And I would love to try this product. But those products were sold wholesale or they were sold in large packs that the average individual wouldn't be able to buy for themselves. So I say, you know, I can buy um, several different things and I can store them in my office. And then I would post in the group and say, hey, I just got a shipment of this. If anybody wants any, let me know. This is how much they cost individually. You can schedule a time with me to come pick up at my office. And so once that started, I was like, I'll just make a website so people can you know, order online. And I really only had like six different products because I wasn't trying to create a store per se. And I didn't have a lot of storage space. Um, but then my office, I moved, I moved my office. Um, at the time I was officing out of the same building as the school that I'm on the board of and the school was moving. And they said, well, Dominique, um, let's find a commercial space that will accommodate you as well. And say, you know, that would be great. So I won't be in the middle of the school. <laughs> so um, we found a space that had previously had had a bookstore. I was like, you know, I could put all of the bedside market stuff in here and maybe I can add more. And then I partnered up with a couple other people on some other projects and they asked me, well, when are you going to open the store? And I was like, well, it wasn't ever really meant to be like a come in and shop type situation. I'm like, well, why not? I don't know. <laughs> uh, why not? The, so, the key two yeah, words. Why, why not? not? <laughs> I said, you know, you're right. And so we set a date for a grand opening event, or I should say they pressed me to set a date for a grand opening event. And they helped me plan that event and put on that event. And I was stuck, essentially, because once I made it public, I had to go with it. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, the beginning of putting myself out there in a way that I couldn't take back with a lot of things. <laughs> so um, so I credit uh, my friend amazing. group. Yeah, I credit my friend group, my my partners at that time for pushing me in that way. And and it became a vegside market. And I visited other stores around the country who um, only sell vegan items and got ideas from them and you know, little boutique suppliers that have specialty items and brought a lot of goods in, did a lot of different community events. Um, just recently, uh, I closed the store to transition to a larger retail space. So we're looking to become like a small supermarket. Wow. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Have you ever thought about uh, franchising it or bringing it to other cities? I have. Um, there's actually a, uh, a vegan food um, market in South Florida that started um, a franchise model and they haven't expanded yet, but we've had meetings about partnering up and folding in one or the other brand and, and you know, branching out together. So that's in talks. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I feel like I've been to one that opened right before I moved out of South Florida. Um, was it where was it in Palm Beach in West Palm it's, or in Fort um, Lauderdale? It's in the it's north of Miami. So so yeah, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. That area. Yes. Uh -huh. 
So vegan yes. food, vegan food and wine, fi- vegan fine foods. Okay. Okay. I feel as if I feel like I've been there before by the water. Yeah. Maybe. Vegan fine foods. They actually, uh, I think COVID really affected that area and they moved to a different space and they're opening up in a different space. Um, not too long from now. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Let me know if you do end up, uh, you know, uh, going to different cities. Uh, I'm For in Raleigh, sure. so there's definitely a need here. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's another thing that I wanted to ask you, actually, because you're in Houston, and, and Houston yes. is known for, me- like, you know, yes, meat, <laughs> same as same as North Carolina. Um, Listen. So, so how how did how was barbecue that? and yep. cows? And- <laughs> yes, um, it is. I think because Houston is the fourth largest city, it affords a little diversity that people wouldn't otherwise expect in a Texas city. So, um, the vegan food scene is growing. Um, and, and I feel like it's growing every day. You know, we have some very, uh, good brick and mortar options. We've got some great food trucks. And then there's also the smaller pop-ups that happen, you know, they're frequent the different markets on the weekends and especially events. So I'm, I am um, grateful that I have so many options here. Yeah, I, I think there's a something to say about that in the sense of going right now. Uh, uh, many people are, know about veganism. It's not yeah. like it was ten years ago where they're like, no. "What is that?" Right? So <laughs> people know about it, but there's certain markets like New York, LA, mm-hmm. South Florida mm-hmm. that are over that are saturated. Yes, uh, because they're all about healthy lifestyle. They're all about like every, every other person's a vegan or vegetarian or pescatarian or something, yes, but then something. there's the, right. There's the markets that there's an audience there, like a Houston or even a Raleigh, mm-hmm. um, maybe a Charleston, like certain places that are cities yet they're in areas that, um, are more meat eaters, you can say. Yeah. And, yes. and I think there's a big opportunity there. I know downtown Raleigh, uh, there's one juice bar and it's packed every single time because it's, it's one juice bar. And so they, I mean, they have a very, very successful business. Now they have multiple locations all in wow. Raleigh. So that's, that's something just throwing it out there to look at, yeah. right? Um, and just for anyone listening, she mentioned, um, Dominique mentioned for each of her businesses from the luxury vegan concierge service to this vegan grocery um, and boutique, this this need. She saw a need and then she went after it and she solved it. Uh, and so that's so, so key. I think a lot of times people are questioning, is this the right business venture? Should I do this? Should I put more of my, um, you know, time investment, money investment into this? Ask if there's a need, like what there's of course the passion behind it. There has to be the passion, but if there is a need or if there's maybe a physical market or an online market that there is that missing link that you can solve their problems. That's yeah. so key to, to moving forward. So with that, with your different businesses, how do you stay focused and how do you like manage your time? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I consider myself generally organized. Okay. Um, Currently, (laughs) yeah, currently I'm expanding my team. I'm adding um, administrative assistants and like um, digital media type assistants. So it's like, okay, I I have to put someone in place who's going to do this list of things. Maybe someone else who does this list of things. And and I've got lists. (laughs) So... Um, delegation, you know, that's, that's the only way, honestly, because one person can only do so much. And I learned very early on in my career. Um, one of the older businesses that I have is seven or eight years old now, um, since I took over and I grew my staff pretty quickly because I realized what areas I operate well in and what, what, tasks I was doing begrudgingly and then therefore not really well. (laughs) So, you know, it's that whole idea. um, I think Gay Hendricks wrote the book about operating in your genius zone. Mm -hmm. 
your zone of genius. And so I, I had to drill it down. I had to say, okay, I am really, really, really good at this, but do I love doing that? Or does it, you know, cause me anxiety or do I put it off or procrastinate all the time when it comes to it? Okay. So maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I need to train somebody else to do that. Um, I'm really, really good at this and it makes me very happy when I do it. I light up, I'm creative, I'm motivated. Okay. So this is where I need to stay. Um, and there's the other things I, maybe I'm not so good at, and I don't have time to learn how to be good at them. So let me put an expert in that area, in that space and delegate to them. So yeah, they say hire your weaknesses. Yes, exactly. Definitely. And, uh, so what is that older business that you're mentioning? It is called surrogacy escrow account management, and it is an escrow company that manages funds for surrogacy and egg donation arrangements. So another very niche company. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's complete uh, serial entrepreneur here. So, <laughs> I mean, you've had a lot of experience growing businesses, building businesses along this journey. Has there yes. ever been a time where you went after something and then maybe it didn't work out and you either had to pivot or close it down and start something new? Um, what has that journey looked like for you? Oh, man. I mean, a couple things. Um, when... We started Vegan Bay, the initial model, um, and Vegan Bay is my, um, it, there's a few facets to this business, but the most prominent is a facility. It's a media, digital media production facility. Uh, when we decided to start building this out, it was only going to be one room and it was going to be a recording studio. Um, I had been in music several years back and so had my business partner. And, um, we wanted to get back into music. So he asked me, you know, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to get back to music. He said, let's build a studio. And in my mind, I'm thinking what? And, but out of my mouth came, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. so, you know, we built out this room and the room was gorgeous. We had a grand opening event, um, January of 2019. And then as everyone knows and remembers in March of 2000, uh, I mean, January of 2020, and then in March, uh, everything shut down. So we said, okay, so we just opened this recording studio and we had at that time expanded into one other room as a, like a photography suite. And he said, what are we going to do with this shutdown? You know, we're thinking it's temporary initially, mm -hmm. but, um, we pivoted in the production space and said, okay, well, initially it was churches. We're like, well, they're going to go, they're going to do virtual messages. So we can use our cameras and media equipment that we had purchased to facilitate doing podcasts and things like that and shooting videos. We use that for streaming people's um, faith-based services. Then we found out people were trying to transition their, um, conferences to virtual platforms. So we were pre-recording people's conferences for them and then uh, finding out, you know, which platforms were best and just coming up with solutions for people, other people to pivot and change their in-person events, services, gatherings to virtual. We were even working with funeral homes for virtual viewings and funerals. It was crazy wow. all the things that came up during um lockdown but that's how we pivoted <laughs> that's a that's a a very uh smart pivot because mm -hmm. everybody needed that at that time uh um, yeah. i mean i'm in the events industry so I, we all went virtual and uh and and people needed the virtual producers but did you know how to do all of that before or you just learned you know i learned because my business partner so he is the tech guru, you know, and, and he was a videographer and photographer, but it, it was just he and I. And so I hadn't worked in a production space. The, the extent was for me was really like writing and singing and recording music, but not physically doing like, you know, sitting at a board or not setting up mics, didn't know what XLR cables were didn't know, you know, what kinds of mics or what and what they were 
useful mm-hmm. for, you know, didn't know anything about setting up instruments for a band to, you know, uh, to record or play. I knew nothing about any of those things, but I learned quickly. So I became a production assistant very fast. <laughs> I mean, well, immediately and just learned. I set up everything and took down everything with him. And I learned. I asked questions. He was happy to explain all the things. He loves talking about all those things. So I soaked it up like a sponge. And and then I started, you know, when people did come back being in person and they wanted to come in and record podcasts, I would set up the room with all the mics and the roadcaster and all that myself. And so, you know, I became proficient in running a few things on my own. (laughs) Yeah, definitely sounds like it. I know over the pandemic, so I'm a speaker and I Mm -hmm. had to learn quickly how to set up my whole own virtual studio. And now not only am I a speaker, but I'm also a virtual event producer when I'm speaking at these colleges, universities, conferences. And it was stressful in the beginning. It was really stressful, especially because tech is so nerve wracking to me if one thing goes wrong and then it's kind of out of your control some of the time, especially when it comes to like Wi-Fi. So that added (laughs) stress for live events was so intense. But then I realized like we're all going through this together. And Mm -hmm. if we can just be open about it. And if, if I have a tech issue, just, you know, talk to the audience about it. And yes, usually that makes you more relatable and, and, and they'll have compassion and and extend grace. (laughs) Yes. That word compassion. And, and so with that, um, you know, that pivot, do you think you're going to go back to, uh, your original vision for the studio? Are you going to stay the course? Uh, we've integrated the original vision and we still offer the virtual services as well. So here in Houston, things have been open for a little while. <laughs> so so um, during that two year period, we actually expanded into the rest of the building. So our facility is like 17,000 square feet. Um, wow. And we, and we have three recording studios now and, um, an event space that can be used like as a sound stage or a black box or rehearsal or, you know, for any kind of gathering. And we've got like a really nice patio and a few different other rooms, lounges and editing suite that clients can come in and sit and, you know, um, give feedback on their edits, uh, visual edits. And um, so- the school, the school that I was talking about that I moved in with, we just moved them out last week. And so the rooms that they were in will become production space. Wow. Congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. So that's, that's a big, I mean, 17,000 square feet. That's a, that's a big facility. How did you self fund this or did you have to get outside investment? Um, with this is mostly self. <laughs> Amazing. This is mostly self. So, I mean, we spent that time like, you know, just really working and trying to find like where the funding can come from, you know, setting up the businesses and talking to the different banks and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was like, let's put it all together. Let's figure it out. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So you've, so you've been, I mean, again, you're just, you have an idea, you see a need and then you go after it. Uh, were you, oh, did you always have this like entrepreneurial spirit when you were younger? Where do you think your entrepreneurial sense came from? Uh, I always like to think of this like nature versus nurture type of, uh, thing when it comes to entrepreneurs. I definitely feel like I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, there was a point as a teenager when, uh, one of my relatives, um, an aunt, she's my godmother also, um, she was doing consulting. She had been in corporate since she graduated from college, uh, working for companies like Kodak and and just really, you know, huge corporations at the time, like in the 80s and 90s. And she was a senior project manager. And she, once she got into consulting, she was talking to me about how much your time is worth. And she was explaining to me deciding when to pay someone else to do something for you based on how much your time is worth. And then the whole concept was interesting to me, but um, I really latched onto it. And I said, you know, um, I have services to offer people. 
I can take what I've learned in the corporate environment and apply that outside of it. And so at some point, uh, off and on, while my kids were little, my kids are teenagers and young adults now, but um, while they were little, I explored different uh, consulting type uh, gigs, I guess you could call it. You know, someone would see me organizing something like a, another mom at the school would see me organizing the dugout at a baseball game. They're like, oh, my God, you're so organized. Can you come help me? And I'm like, OK, well, here's my hourly rate. I can totally come help you, you know, um, and that for that came that became a business that became one of my first businesses going and organizing people's lives and and their things and um, helping them to make sense of whatever else it is that they had going on. And I was like, wow, okay, I guess I have a knack for this and I appreciate being able to make my own schedule and I appreciate being flexible for my children. So it wasn't until I bought the the escrow company from um, my partner from that company um, that I started stacking the deck and expanding into other areas um, and becoming like a full-time entrepreneur, like in the sense that um, I just wasn't working, you know, 15 or 20 hours a week on this side hustle Mm -hmm. or, you know, side business. And, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. Uh, a work at home mom, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a work at home mom, you know, working just 20 hours, a small commitment. Um, but then it increased because I I had this hunger, like, okay, there's more and there's more. I can grow this company. I can grow this company and I want to do something else also, you know, so. That's, that's really interesting in the sense of uh, you starting based on just people asking, you know, Hey, can you do this for me? And, uh, and then of course, building it around your lifestyle, which I think is really important. Um, we want to build a business. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship around the lifestyle that we desire, not, not have the business overtake what we want because then what's the point, right? Right. So you did this all very intentionally from your first business, but I want to like back up a little bit in what you said with, uh, figuring out this formula of how much is your time worth and then that <laughs> determines when you should delegate and hire yeah. someone out. So can you share kind of this formula that maybe other entrepreneurs can implement in their business so they can uh, have that knowledge and that confidence when they do decide, okay, I'm hiring this person because these are the numbers and this is how much money I'm losing. Right. Um, it's funny that conversation came out of, um, I had a need, uh, at the time I was pregnant with, uh, my youngest kid and I really needed help with housekeeping, but I said we couldn't afford it. And my aunt was like, well, how come? And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I can't afford to pay someone else to clean my house. I've got to clean my house. And she said, are you sure you can't afford it? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you haven't seen my budget. You don't know. <laughs> so she said, no, let's sit down and let's talk about it. Because how time do you spend cleaning? And you don't realize it until you think about it, that usually when you do things for yourself, like when you clean your own space or do your own grocery shopping or anything like that, you're going to spend way more time doing it for yourself than you would if you were doing that task for someone else, because you typically will get distracted. You'll stop, you'll start. It's never really straightforward. You're the two hour project is going to take you five. It just will um, because it's your own stuff. So if I can save, you know, five hours and pay someone else for two, um, Just that without knowing the hourly rate was like, wow, okay, that's something. And then she said, at the time I was still working in corporate America. She said, how much do you get paid per hour? And so I told her and and she said, okay, so five hours of your time. um, I think at the time it would have been like uh, $200 or something like that. And I was in a very small 
like 800 square foot something that didn't it cost barely nothing to pay someone else to clean i think at the time it was like 80 or 90 bucks this was several this was like 15 years ago so um and she said so isn't that worth it to you and i said oh you know what and i can go do something else and she was like yes you can go spend that two hours or really that five doing something else, whether it's making money or taking care of yourself, you can go spend that doing something else. That's going to be worth more than the 80 bucks that you're going to spend to pay, you know, someone to clean your space in two hours. And I was like, okay, you're, you're making all the sense. So now I have to explain this to my partner so he can be on board. (laughs) She was a wise woman. I mean, that is it was so simple. And Mm -hmm. that, and that was the beginning of learning delegation and when it makes sense. So aside from determining what I was willing to do and what I was good at doing and how efficient I was at certain tasks and when it was time to move on from it and pass it on to someone who could be more efficient, it was about what is my time worth? What would I charge someone else to use my time right now? Oh God. Okay. That costs, it costs way more for me to spend one hour going through all the junk emails <laughs> mm-hmm. and unsubscribing and doing whatever it is you do to clean out your inbox. It costs way more for me to sit here for an hour and do that than it does for me to pay um, an administrative assistant to do it because it's not going to take her an hour. Cause literally she's not going to touch anything, but the one thing that I told her to do. Um, and also she gets a lower hourly wage than I do. Right. And, and, <laughs> That, uh, that also probably, whether you, you, you realize it then or not shifted your mindset as well, getting your mindset more in the, the wealth mindset, the abundance yes. mindset versus yes. the lack of like, oh, we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. That's we powerful. can't, we can, we absolutely can't afford it. And I've determined what my time is worth. And if that number didn't sound right, then I needed to do something about it. <laughs> yeah, that's super powerful. I mean, especially when you talk about living um, this life of luxury and this rich yes. life, like the only way to get there is to one, you know, believe that you deserve it, which we yes. all do. It's just a lot. We're our biggest block, right? We, we get in the way of giving ourselves that luxury and that lifestyle because we think we can't, we can't, we can't. So mm-hmm. therefore we don't do. Yes. Or we think we have to justify it. Or we have it and we feel guilty about it or, you know, we have to hide it because we don't want other people to judge us. I mean, it goes on and on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you deal with that too. And with your clients, you help with uh, with that. I mean, guilt is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. And also hiding your success from yes. others in a way that it's not, it's one thing to kind of gloat about it. It's another uh-huh. thing to just live your life and be humble and grateful yes. for how hard you work. So you get to experience these things and, and right. hopefully you can help others in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a big difference there. And I think so often we think that, uh, if we have this and we show it, then we are, um, uh, we are going to be judged for it or whatnot, but really that's coming again from that lack of mindset because no one that um, is so. There's this quote. I, I feel like it was Tony Robbins that said it, but but some I heard it somewhere. But it's like no one that is more successful than you will take the time to ever judge you. Right. Yes, I've read that recently. I've, I've seen it several times, but so I've come powerful, across it recently. Right? Yes, they don't have time. They don't care. Right. <laughs> They're not going to do it. One so of the true. things that um, a uh, I'm going to call her a colleague because in some ways she's a mentor in the business space and in other ways she's a help. And so um, we serve each other, I guess you could say. And um, she's a consultant. She has an agency and she helps uh, small businesses and ministries, uh, especially operating in a virtual space. She's amazing. Her name is Tamil Curtis. And one of the things that she's been touting lately is about uh, when, uh, celebrating yourself out loud. I love that. 
So, you know, when you talk about the, you know, hiding, you know, people hiding their success and things like that, that's something that she's been on lately that I really appreciate because I didn't really celebrate my wins out loud because I felt like, oh gosh, people are going to look at me and be like, so what? Or, you know, whatever. But I never, I wasn't giving an opportunity. I wasn't giving people an opportunity to support me or celebrate me because I was concerned they were going to judge me. (laughs) Mm. So you were putting their, like, you were putting your own thoughts and beliefs in their mouth in a way before you gave them an opportunity to even be able to, to not, to support you. Yeah, exactly. But if you give people an opportunity, if you make space for people to, um, celebrate you or to show up for you, I mean, it's a learned behavior, you know, uh, it comes from, you know, trauma, abandonment, stuff like that. You know, you, you protect yourself, you do it to protect yourself from feeling bad, but there's no way to heal from it. If you don't make effort intention, you know, to move beyond it. So you, you have to give people the opportunity to show up for you and to celebrate you and to walk with you and encourage you. And, you know, if you don't, it gets really lonely. (laughs) Yeah. It could get very lonely. I I always Mm -hmm. say like, there was so, there was such a long time in my life where I felt so alone on this journey, but Mm -hmm. it was because I wasn't giving people the opportunity to support me, especially when I was going through a lot of health challenges. I would always just respond, oh, I'm fine. And then I would think, oh, well, I'm so alone and nobody Mm -hmm. understands, but it it was on me. It was on me because I wasn't being vulnerable. And I, and the key to not feeling alone is being vulnerable and finding the courage to be vulnerable. But so often we hear like, everyone's walking around feeling like they're so alone in this life, but it's because no one's opening up. Right. Exactly. So and I'm you would grateful be, that you are. <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people uh, can relate if you just open up. <laughs> That's very true. So you have so much knowledge, so much wisdom in a lot of different areas. Uh, but overall, what we kind of talked about and, and uh, the audience that listens to this are people that are looking to build uh, and grow a business that they love. So from all of your different experience (laughs) growing multiple businesses, what would you say is your biggest advice for other women looking to get to that next level in their own business and brand? I think the biggest turning point for me um, and what I like to share with people is the idea of um, you have to build out a team to grow. Um, You can't be a one woman show or one man show that you hit a ceiling there. There is no where to go after a certain point. There's unless you're content with that. Like if you hit your ceiling and that's what you wanted and you met that goal and you're fine maintaining in that space, then that's great. But if you're trying to move to that next level, like you said, you have to trust other people and delegate and build out a team that will support uh, whatever that vision is. Such good advice. So uh, we covered a lot. Uh, And before I get to my last question, um, I just want to kind of do a a recap uh, for anyone listening on, on some of the biggest takeaways of what you, you shared on this podcast today, which was finding a need and then fulfilling that need. Uh, really finding a niche target market and not being afraid to exclude people from that because you that's the way to serve that market that much better as well as be that much more impactful and grow to be well-known in a certain industry and as a thought leader as you have in the luxury vegan market. And then also making sure that you know the value of your time and Mm -hmm. delegating out so you can get back your time as well as make sure that you're putting it towards either spending time with loved ones or moving forward in your goals and your dreams without doing the the menial tasks that uh, are Mm -hmm. way below your pay grade. Let's Mm -hmm. let's put it that way. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And my last question for you 
is one that I ask all of my podcast guests, and it's about this possibility of one. So I believe that it only takes one, one person, one decision, one action step to possibly change your life forever. Along your journey, what has been that one thing, so either an action step, a person, a decision, an experience that has positively changed your life to get you to where you are today? I'll, I'll put an action and person together. It's a one thing for me. It was the day that I decided to sit down and open up to my now business partner about what it was that I really wanted next. I had not yet trusted anyone else. I, I don't even think I had trusted myself enough to say it out loud because I felt like if I said it out loud, then it made it real. And I hadn't given my perspective myself permission to want things not of that scale so for me to say out loud that I wanted music I wanted to get back to music and for him to say okay let's build the studio and me say okay all of that together that you know him that um that moment of me just being vulnerable it made the next, you know, two and a half years, almost three years now, be the most phenomenal so far. I've done so many things, more things than I imagined that I would. I know so much more than I ever thought I would. I'm operating in spaces I never saw myself operating in. And there's so much more to come because it's just the beginning. That's amazing to say that your last three years in a pandemic Yes. Some of the most phenomenal that, <laughs> I mean, that goes a long way. So everyone listening, say your dreams out loud, say them yes. out loud, tell them to, you know, declare that they are yours for the taking. So thank you so much, Dominique. How can people follow you, connect with you and learn more about uh, your services and your business? Okay, so of course I'm on social media. So you can find me um, on Instagram or Twitter at Vegan Bay Dom. So V G N B A E D O M. And Facebook, Dominique Side. And my website is theluxuryvegan.com. Theluxuryvegan.com. Check it out. Follow her on Instagram, on social. And uh, go out into the world and take action on your dreams, on your goals. There really is nothing that you can't do. The biggest thing holding you back is is always yourself. And and I know that was the case for me. Um, as you can see, it was the case for Dominique as well, right? We have to be able to say what we want out loud and then take that courageous, fearful action. It's always scary, but that's because mm -hmm. we care about it. And that's a good thing. And, uh, and then find the support that will help you during the hard times. And I hope that this, this show can uh, help you along your journey. We are here every Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on Colin, and you can also stream it on demand. Thank you so much for listening. Definitely share it. Uh, consider sharing it with your, your community online, with someone who will find value from what we talked about. Sharing is caring, and that's how we make a bigger impact in the world. So again, Dominique, thank you so much. And uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Alexa Rose Show. Thank you. Each individual taking massive amounts of action to pursue what they love. And today, that is what we're focusing on. We're focusing on your growth and your success.